Hi, everyone. Welcome to Six Figure Authors, the show that helps you take your writing career to the next level. I'm Andrea Pearson, and I'm here with my two co-hosts. I'm Lindsay Baroker. And I'm Joe Lello. And for this week's show, we're going to delve into um, basically how to write and edit a novel in a month. We'll, we're gonna, not going to talk too much about like NaNoWriMo novels. We're talking like how to go from the idea to the novel to writing and write revision. So basically, so it's ready for an editor. Um, so we're going to be talking about the things you should do ahead of time for plotters and for pantsers. And we'll discuss the mechanics of writing itself and how to keep track of writing go- goals and then whatever else we, um, you know, come to. <laughs> anyway, um, let's get to news. Uh, do you guys have news this week? Sure. Um, so I started writing the new epic fantasy series that I was planning. Uh, after a rather lengthy revision for the previous book that I was working on, I was the beta actually asked the fans what I should name it. And uh, I, I got a pretty mixed response that I might overrule. The original name idea was legacy of contraptions, but the general uh, consensus was that that sounds not terribly epic fantasy and a lot more, you know, steampunk or gas lamp. So uh, I think the, the current front runner is the greater lands saga which sounds very epic fantasy, I think. Uh, the premise, I feel like, is pretty strong. Uh, there's a little bit of an Indiana Jones vibe, like uh, artifact hunting. And I think I don't, I've never read uh, an epic fantasy that sort of had that focus. Um, and I'm shooting for 100,000 words a book, which hopefully means that with my tendency to overshoot, I'll, hit, I'll land at around 125,000, uh, maybe 150,000. It wouldn't break my heart if I actually hit 100,000 and stayed there, though. Uh, I, I realized that epic fantasy uh, is defined by its length, but I also realized that I have completely blown off my my calibration for how long a long book is. So <laughs> aiming a little short uh, will be okay. And I've been making good progress, and, and uh, the folks that I discuss this sort of stuff with are looking forward to the book, which means in about two weeks when I say that I feel like I'm writing a terrible book, which happens about two weeks into every project, my friend will become very excited because since I say that every time, he says, that must be a sign that you're doing it right. So basically, my news is that things are proceeding apace. I think it's funny that we're both going to do an epic fantasy series this year. I think in the last show that we talked about news a couple of weeks ago, I said I'd started mine and was working on the rough draft. I just finished it uh, Sunday, maybe Monday, something like that which you guys don't care about. <laughs> You're getting this a week after we recorded anyway. Um, and I've started editing and it's going r- really slowly. I actually wrote the first draft pretty quickly. It was, it's about 140,000 words. It's actually exactly 140,000 words it came in on. And that was my goal in Scrivener. And I felt like, I don't know if this is like a good omen or a jinx or something, but that's what it came at. As long as I didn't write the end, that would have messed it up. Um, but mine actually has an artifact too, although there's just one and it's core to the whole series. I might have stolen it from Stargate. It's it's like a Dragon Gate and that's the name of the series, Dragon Gate. I wasn't going to do dragons again, but I was like, well, as long as you've got a gate and an ancient species of some kind that did something powerful, magical a long, long time ago, hey, let's make it dragons. And the first one is called Kingdoms at War which I think sounds pretty epic fantasy, although hilariously, it's not at all the story I was going to write when I started plotting this and when I ordered the cover art. So actually, the cover art I ordered could go with your book, Joe, because you say Greater Lands or something? Yeah, Greater Lands Saga. Yeah, because it's this landscape with like a little party walking off into the distance. There is a gate on it. You'd have to explain that. <laughs> but uh, it, lo- it looks like a greater land is what it looks like. So I'm kind of debating, should I... 
just go with it, you know, because that's it's very epic fantasy looking, I think. Uh, or should I like save that for a later book? Uh oh, there went Andrea. She hasn't even said her news. Uh, she mentioned before this show she's having some internet problems, so hopefully she'll be right back. Um, but yeah, so this is kind of what happens when you order your covers ahead of time, which you should do so that it's ready to go and you're not waiting on the art. But uh, if you write quickly, if you write a book a month, uh, you're probably going to have to order your cover art before you even start the novel. And then you may find out that uh, things can change along the way. So I'm debating if that will still be book one or if I'm going to ask the artist to like do another new cover and then have that be book two or three. And I don't know how many I'm going to do at this point. Uh I did Urban Fantasy last year, as you guys know, and it was first person. So they're pretty simple stories and pretty easy to write, which was perfect since last year was super distracting. Um, but yeah, I've, I'm already feeling like, wow, I don't know if I can just write uh, epic fantasy straight through all this year. I think I'm going to have to jump over and do something easier. Hopefully not right after the first book, because I like to try to write the first three while I'm in the flow of everything and while everything's fresh in my mind. But this is these are uh, you know the first one I said is 140,000 words, so it's not it's not Brandon Sanderson 300,000 words long. Props to all you guys that are doing the super long ones because this is um it's not a a long story, but it is multiple POVs, and I actually picked that target length in part because epic fantasy you usually go longer, but also because I, I talked about this before with the audiobooks, uh, Podium Publishing actually sent me like some data they had on like wh- how long does your book need to be or like at what length do like sales really pick up? Like people are buying using those credits and it was right at 15 hours. There was a big jump. And this is not to say you're not going to sell books if they're short. My All my urban fantasies are like nine hours or something and and they've sold quite well this last year with audiobooks it's actually been the first year where my audiobooks were earning out promptly despite the fact that uh, i had a little flub with audible for a couple months not publishing the first book (laughs) i think everybody had that flub last spring Uh, so but that series has done fine do not feel all you have to be pressured to do long but I just thought since it was going to be epic fantasy anyway, I would kind of shoot for 140,000 words because that's about that 15-hour mark. And it was going to be no big deal if I didn't make it or if I went over. You know how you just throw a target into Scrivener. I'm trying to ramble on here because Andrea hasn't come back yet. <laughs> um, and she's our host for the, the show for the night. But So anyway, that's how that's going. And I will let you guys know if I bail after one and take a break and start a new my spin-off urban fantasy series or even something in my Star Kingdom universe, something easy. Uh, I don't know, Joe, how do you feel when it doesn't sound like you're planning a super long one, but do you have some of your books just go long and you just got to do something easy after that? Yeah, I uh, I do that uh, fairly frequently. And I'm, that's why I've, I've started aiming lower uh, on the word counts, because I feel like it's a lot easier to add another event if I feel like it needs to be longer. Right. I With this one, actually, I was going to end up having two climaxes. Like I had two big events and I, as I'm writing, I'm realizing the first big event was probably going to be bigger, more epic than the second one. So I was like, I don't think I can do both of these in one book because I, otherwise I could have ended up at like 250,000. So it's it's probably good that I was just like, let's just make this have one climax as is per normal in a novel. And yeah. Hey, Andrea, are you ready? To, <laughs> we were just uh, spitballing there to keep the news rolling. So you popped back on. Yeah, I'm. I was telling Joe and Lindsay, I don't know if you guys already said, but I'm having internet issues today. So it's been really exciting. So yeah, but I, 
hopefully I'm ready because you were still talking, Lindsay, and then everything froze and you talked for like a full minute and a half before my thing shut down. <laughs> so I don't I even can, know what oh, I'm well, having I just problems. Kept going, you know, I, I can keep talking. It's no problem. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. So we're still on news then. <laughs> we thought okay. you want to do your news. Yes. Okay. So, um, Nolan and I are starting a mastermind. We decided finally this week, just talking to an author friend. We're like, you know what? We've been wanting to do it for a long time. We're going to do it. So we've got one local author friend on board and um, we're looking for one, maybe two more authors to join us. And I don't know how many our listeners, if any, live actually near me. But if you're in Utah and if you like marketing and if you want accountability partners, send me an email. Um, um, let's see. Andrea at selfpublishedstrong.com is probably the easiest to remember. Andrea at selfpublishedstrong.com. Um, we'll be meeting at my house the last Wednesday of every month around 8 p.m. And the type of authors we're looking for are those who take their author business seriously. So those who, those who've been doing it for a while, um, they're ferocious about writing like ferocious, like they have to write, right? Um, kind of the way me and our author friend are. Um, and then, um, they're not afraid to market and try things out, have been doing it for a while, like I said, and want to share what they learn with a small group of like-minded people and hopefully have something to bring to the table. I don't want it to be a, I want us to be learning from each other. Um, and then when it comes to writing, I don't know, I've been very conscientious about, um, about what I want to do instead of what my readers expect or what I think they expect. And so I'm just focusing on where my interests take me. Um, just because a certain genre is selling well doesn't mean I, and of course our listeners, um, need to write in it. And so I fell into that trap actually with Midnight Chronicles. I took a story I wanted to write and I knew I wanted to write and I twisted it to fit a genre I thought it would do well in, except I twisted it in the wrong ways. <laughs> um, there's nothing bad about doing that in general, but some tropes are more important than others. And it's important to understand which those are. And then the best way to figure out a trope is to read a lot, watch a lot of movies and pay attention to what successful authors are doing. I was doing that. But it also takes experience, which I usually just write what I want to write. And this was one of my first times trying to write to market. And um, also it uh, getting feedback from people who aren't emotionally attached to the project. And that was um, that's been really, really beneficial for me. Um, anyway, so I think we should go ahead and get started. And I'm, you know, going to get us going <laughs> to our topic. Um, like I said already, um, we're going to be talking about starting and completing a novel in in um, 50 days, in 30 days. <laughs> I know what how long a month is. Um, polished and ready to send to an editor. So those of you who do new, do nano, um, you can get get tips from this or whatever, but it's geared to people who want to be doing a full novel that is ready for an editor from start to finish in a month. But like I said, there will be plenty in here for anybody who just wants to write it and then revise it the following month. Um, okay, so I've been talking a lot. I feel like I've been talking a ton, but going to go ahead and talk about pre-writing. So what each of us does to prepare to write a book. Wait, and wait, look, wait, wait, you skipped was, stuff. Did I? We were going to talk about each of the first times we did it. Oh, and I, I told you over Twitter, I'm like, I don't even remember the first time I did it. <laughs> it's been a long time. So Lindsay and Joe, you guys can go ahead and talk about the first time you did it. And listeners, I don't remember the first time I did. <laughs> She's had so many times that she can't remember the first anymore. This, that's that's what she said. I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably the worst person to try to make jokes like that. They usually go over my head. Um, but we should point out to you that if you are working full time and or have kids and or are busy, like you don't feel like you have to do that. This is just tips that may help you write more, more quickly, get more done. And if you don't, if it takes two months, you know, you can still come to the club. Probably you can't come to Andrea's house because she's got high standards at her meeting there. But yeah, my kids dictate my high standards. 
Um, but I guess I'll go first. The first one I did was uh, Balanced on the Blade's Edge, which was my, ended up being book one in my Dragon Blood series, which ended up having eight novels, a spinoff novel, a side novella, and a spinoff five book series. So it was a success. I actually quite enjoyed that book. Uh, so, you know, I know there's always like, oh, if you write fast, it's going to be horrible. And I'm like, well, I've had ones that took longer to write, not be that great. And I've had ones that took, didn't take that long, be really good. Sometimes when you write them quickly, it's like you're really in the flow. You just see the movie playing out in your head. And uh, of course, as we were talking about epic fantasy before, I will say <laughs> this is going to be easier with a more, a simpler story. So if you are working on something epic and it's taking you a long time, this may even be like a side project you can do. Like after you, I don't want to say stop what you're doing. That's a bad habit. But after you finish that one, maybe you will need like a something short and easy before you take on the next book in that series. That may be something to consider. But in my case, I actually, and it, I think this helps if there's a little bit of a pressure or a deadline or something that can give you a reason, like you're motivated to actually want to finish it in a month. And I had already ordered the cover art for my, I think it was my Chains of Honor series, uh, which I did not end up being anywhere nearly as successful as the Dragon Blood series, crazily enough. So this first book, as I said, wasn't supposed to start a series. It was just going to be, a, I was going to try a fantasy romance, kind of a steampunk fantasy romance, which seemed fun. I hadn't ever tried to do that where they actually get together in one novel, which you probably shouldn't do if it's the first novel in a series. Generally, it's better to like have some reason for the reader to keep reading, but that's another story. But um, in this case, because I, I had like set a date with my editor for the first Change of Honor book, I had the covers. I just paid for these great covers by uh, Gene Mullica. He, he got a model. You know, they were the most expensive covers I'd ever had to that point. And he drew the background, but he did like a photo shoot of, uh, of the model and the, you know, kind of a robe and a sword. It was sort of epic fantasy series. So I had everything set up and was ready to do that other series. And then I had this idea while I was on a trip reading one of my, like rereading a favorite book. And it inspired me. I was kind of like, I want to do like the fantasy version of this. It was kind of a sci-fi romance. And so that's how the idea came to be. But because I felt guilty, because I was taking time out from the longer project that I knew would take longer. So I had to either not do this book or just put it off for months, which I didn't want to do. Um, that gave me the incentive to like do it quickly. I wasn't really trying, like, I'm not going to say I need to do this book in a month, but yeah, I, I, that was kind of the first time I started hitting 10,000 word days. And just to remind you guys, I was full time at this time. You know, this was probably, I think this is maybe 75, 80,000 word book. Uh, and so not 10,000 words every day, but I did do the first draft in a couple of weeks. I was just, I really enjoyed the characters. I was fortunate that they had a lot of chemistry from the beginning. That doesn't always happen. Sometimes you're kind of going back and editing and that's when you start to add that stuff, but it made it fun for me to write. So. A little bit of a tip there, too. If you're kind of slogging through things with your current characters, maybe you need to change something up. Like, how can these characters be more fun? What, what can the conflict be that is keeping them from being apart? If It doesn't have to be like a romance, but like whatever it is. Maybe it's a bromance, right? Maybe it's a father and son thing, and the goal is by the end for them to mend their relationship. Whatever it is, uh, if there's some conflict and some fun dialogue, it can really make things more fun to write. I, I, that's so cheesy. Like, make sure your characters are fun and you're enjoying yourself. But I feel like most of us as writers, most of the time, it's kind of a slog. Let's be honest. We all enjoy having written. We don't necessarily enjoy writing. 
So that was my first one. And I, you know, after doing it in two weeks, I took another about week and a half to edit it and send it off to my editor. So, and the cover art, I actually went to 99 designs for that one because I didn't have anything lined up and I want to get it out there as soon as I could. And I met um, Deranged Doctor Design, who I still use for a lot of my Photoshop stuff, uh, Photoshop manipulation stuff. They've got a pretty big team now, but originally I found them on 99designs and I just happened to pick theirs and it all worked out and the book actually sold pretty well. Like I said, it started a series. So that was my first time. <laughs> I'll let Joe give his. Uh, all right. Yeah. I technically, the first time I wrote a book in a month was, and, uh, I wrote, uh, the other eight, which is my superhero satire, but I did not edit it in that month. I didn't actually have the intention of releasing it. Uh, that was my first NaNoWriMo. And then my second NaNoWriMo was free wrench and I wrote it and revised it, uh, all within that month. It took me about 18 days to write about 60,000 words. And uh, I, I revised it by the end of the month, and I was happy enough with it that I was like, "This is definitely going to be a book." So I didn't have it; uh, I didn't have uh, it booked with an editor like within that month, but it was ready for an editor within that month. And I think um, Free Wrench might be my most critically acclaimed series. It went on to have six books. I just wrote the finished release the the sixth one last year. Um, but that first one was actually a book of the month on one of the uh, Amazon, I mean, sorry, Apple iBooks, like regional storefronts. So it, it did pretty well. And it's it has spent time as my highest earning book, too, uh, my highest earning series, that is. So uh, it worked out pretty well. And it was, it was written so quickly because it was just really fun. It was a whole lot of dialogue for a lot of characters. It was, there was, it started off with like a five person or six person ensemble cast, which is really hard to stick into a 60,000 word book, but it does lead to a pretty rapid development. So yeah, not too much to say about it, except that it, it happened within the prescribed time frame and has done well for me. And I mean, um, just thinking about this, um, my first book, I wrote it in six weeks and then all, all the books after that I wrote in four weeks, but I didn't revise them within the same period of time. I just, I got gradually faster and faster and faster. So that's why I don't remember why or remember when I went to, um, you know, being able to write and revise a book in a whole month. So, okay. So are we ready to go on to pre-writing now? Sure. I, I'm curious if you dictated yours, because I know that's kind of one of your tips to get a lot done. Um, I, I mean, I didn't dictate until about book, maybe novel 15 or 20 or something like that. Um, I dictated, I did it by typing in the beginning. The first 15 or 20 novels were by typing. And I, I'm a fast typer. I do like 150 words a minute, maybe 185, something like that. Um, but I'm also a fast talker. So, <laughs> so but it just has smoke more gibberish. comes from the keyboard as you're typing and also from <laughs> your ears as you're talking. Yes. I'm not that fast of a typer, but I can do like 2000 words an hour. Typing is kind of my average, unless it's a scene where it's like, you're really being thoughtful and it's like dialogue and really important I tend to slow down for that speed up for action scenes, but it tends to even out. So it helps. It's going to, everything's a little harder if you're, 500 words an hour. So just keep that in mind too. There's nothing wrong with that, but just realize that, like, I know, I think I heard Amanda M. Lee, who's super prolific. I think she does two or three novels a month say that she writes 3000 words an hour. So I was like, well, that explains it. <laughs> I can't <laughs> keep up with that. So uh, just some stuff to be aware of going into this. Yeah. And like, I type really fast, but you, you made a good point there. Like when I'm in a thought, when I have to think, I don't type that quickly. You know, if I'm like, 
wanting to, you know, pull something out that I, that's hard to grab, you know? And, but if I know exactly where I'm going and it's like a fast paced scene, then I usually can type pretty quickly. Um, okay. So we're going to go ahead and talk about pre-writing. So what each of us does to prepare to write a book. Um, and I'll go ahead and go first, but, uh, my pre-writing system has evolved across the years. Um, for fantasy, it involves thinking about the plot for a while before I start writing it. Um, and it's usually while I'm working on the previous whatever pro project or whatever. Um, when I'm writing romance, I don't need much advanced thought to put something together. And then when I'm brainstorming fantasy, I'm actually thinking about magic systems and magical objects and villains and powers and mysteries and uncovering evil and all of that. And it takes a while for all those things to fall into place, especially when you're doing it where it's one arc across the whole series. And so, like I said, I do this while I'm finishing off the last project and I want it to be satisfying. And so it does take time to make sure everything all of those bits and pieces are in place. Um, and then when I'm act actively ready to write or ready to actively write, I usually have to get a lot of weagles out. <laughs> like, I'm like a little child sometimes. I have a lot of energy, so I bounce a lot. Like, I don't know if you've noticed, I'm always having to play things with my hands. I'm um, Anyway, so I, I'll pace the house. I'll go for a walk. I'll clean. I'll cook. I'll take care of the kids, use the bathroom, make sure I'm not hungry. And even then, it still takes a bit of time for me to get into a good groove. And But then once I'm into that good groove, I'm able to focus like... I went to the ho a hotel um, last week and this week for this week, man, what is with me um, for a night to get as much writing done. And I was able to just sit and write for four hours, you know, straight four or five hours straight without taking any breaks, without even realizing anything was going on. Um, okay. So then once I'm ready, um, once I'm ready to put my outline together, I'll usually do it at a computer or on a paper, but I almost always do it on paper. Um, I'm very attached to analog systems. It's not, it's just, it's just the way I learn. And I know there's a lot of people who learn that way too. You know, it's, it's, they've done studies and research on that, but I have, I'll have several sheets of paper dedicated to loose thoughts. So things I don't want to forget if I'm, you know, like if I'm really excited about something, I'll just stick stuff in. And if I'm not going to a chronological order, I just put all the thoughts I have in one spot. And then sometimes I put those in a separate notepad. Um, and if I'm writing a series, I'll dedicate a full sheet to each book for free thought ideas. And this is after the several loose papers. Those ones are geared to the series. This one, is, this full sheet is geared to each book. And then once I feel like I've written down the ideas that excite me about the series, I'll dedicate a new sheet of paper to each book in the series and write down the events that are going to take place in order using a bullet point system. And when I'm writing fantasy, I usually aim for around 30 to 40 bullet points. Those aren't usually seen. Sometimes they are, but they're usually like topic, like things that I want, like an important conversation or something that really needs to happen. Um, uh, something that I really want to get the point across on. And then anyway, so I know that there's a lot of programs out there for this sort of thing, but I think best when I'm away from my computer and when my eyes aren't having to stare at a monitor, when I'm able to move um, and when I have a pen in hand and the process of writing just, it helps me hugely. And so does switching up where I'm brainstorming. And so um, one thing I do is, is because I know a lot of people are worried about data loss. I'll, I'll take a picture of each page. Like, okay, I have kids. My kids are obsessed with notepads and pens. I leave notepads around. They draw on them. So I take pictures of each page to make sure I have digital copies of it. And then I dictate or type off of those bullet points. And they're not long. They're usually only a few words long. So anyway, so I do all of my research during this point and almost none while writing. And then I finish up any research I might need to do during the revision process. And that's, that's my pre-writing process. All right. For myself, since I am a full-time author at this point and always working on some series or another, I'm usually taking notes, uh, 
usually just on my phone months before I start a new series. And it's, it's really just because I have to finish the old series before I can start something new. But inevitably, you know how it is, you get shiny new ideas while you're bogged down in like the hard part of uh, writing those climactic battles for the later books in the series or whatever it is that you struggle with. That's kind of when I start getting new ideas for a new series. So I just start taking notes. Um, for me, that's, I'm not sure I would call that pre-writing so much, but it's sort of brainstorming is somewhat intentional, but somewhat, some things just will come to you. You'll hear, you know, I'll be listening to like nonfiction book or a podcast on a kind of only vaguely related topic to like epic fantasy or not at all related, but I'll, it'll inspire something and I'll want to bring it into the new story. So just kind of brainstorming, putting everything in a big notes file is not at all organized. I, usually I'm walking the dogs when a lot of this happens. So, you know, there's a limit to how much you can do without tripping over rocks and running into branches. And since it's winter, when you run into the branch, it snags your wool hat off. And then you feel like a particular idiot, especially if that happens on the same branch several times a week. Not that I would know. So when it comes to outlining this, to me, when I'm ready to sit down and do the outline, it means I'm ready to start the next project. I've probably wrapped things up with the other one or sent it off to the editor. So it's kind of start, time to start the new book. For me, that can end up being anywhere from around 1,500 words to maybe 4,000 words. It just depends. A lot of times when I'm there, it's not so much the story is longer, but there may be more little snippets of dialogue or things that I that come to me that I just throw in in case I want to include them when I start writing. I don't look at the outlines a whole lot once I start writing, but some books more than others, I will need that, you know, the uh, stones or the breadcrumbs to kind of find my way along the trail. With other books, I just, it sticks in my mind what I want to do more. And I might be able to look at the outline in chapter one and then never look at it again. But having that guideline for me, and, you know, we'll talk about pantsing a little bit too. It's just, it's not necessarily necessary. I wrote many books before I started doing the outline. It's just something that, for me, it helps me finish more quickly and efficiently. I, it's really rare for me to have to like cut a scene or kind of back up the truck because the plot went in a weird direction. And that's mostly because I've kind of figured it out ahead of time. Uh, also, characters usually, especially the main characters, will come to me a couple months ahead of time. Sometimes they come before the plot and the plot evolves from the characters, which I actually is my favorite way to write. It doesn't always happen that way. With this epic fantasy, I had the ideas for the plot uh, and the artifact <laughs> before I had the, the characters in my mind. But so again, I'm just kind of putting down like if their quirks about their personality come to me and you know, I'll get oh, like, oh yeah, yeah. yeah that character, he, he's a cartographer. That's going to be his thing. And maybe it'll come into use in the plot. Maybe it'll just be his quirky obsession that uh, he gets referred to. And makes him feel like a real person with hobbies and a career that he's trying to get into. But so I'd like to have these sort of foundational bits bits down before I try to sit down and start outlining, which I then actually usually do within a day. And it's not that I'm so fast at coming up with ideas. It's just that these things have been on my notes, percolating in my brain for a while. So it's it's pretty easy to kind of sit down and figure out the story once I decide, okay, I'm going to do it. And again, writing full-time, it would take longer, I'm sure, if I only had a half hour each evening to work on it. Book one is always the hardest one. That's what I'm working on right now. Because especially with fantasy and sci-fi, you're often making up an entire world or universe. Uh, so there's a lot of extra stuff to do then if you're, you know, I've, I've written stuff that, I've written my one book that just takes place in a 
where was it? Forks, Washington? That was Twilight. It's over there on the Olympic Peninsula somewhere. <laughs> you can see it was a big success because I only wrote the one. But, you know, it's a little easier to write something that's just in a town you know and using real things, or, or so I find. Uh, but yeah, so some of the world building, I, I don't actually do a ton of that ahead of time. I You do as much as I need to in order to get the story rolling. But a lot of times as I'm writing, that stuff comes to me. And then when I'm editing, I'll kind of tuck it in and revise as needed. All right, Joe, how do you pre-write? Um, it varies. If it's for a new series, I will start with a brainstorming document because uh, I don't like, I often have ideas and I, I have, an, I have a, uh, an idea file, but my ideas are always no, no uh, more detailed than the premise or no more detailed than a character. So unless I'm picking and choosing from a bunch of different ideas I wrote down, I'm going to start with a, with a blank brainstorming document and, uh, and, and just start asking myself questions. That's how you should, like, I should share one of my brainstorming documents one of these days because it starts off with questions being asked and then me answering those questions. And then at some point, I just switch straight into an outline. Like, I now know enough about how things are going that I can just start doing an outline. And then I will start from the outline going back and filling in, okay, well, that's a character I'm going to need. That's a character I'm going to need. So, uh, yeah, the questions at the beginning is, is a process that I learned, uh, back when I was doing my first NaNoWriMo with Free Ranch. It was like, just how many characters do I need? Can I combine these two characters? But once I'm satisfied that I've built out enough structure and I start the outline, uh, I fill out my outlines in two ways, or rather I have filled out my outlines in two ways. Either I'll start with the beginning and just write, you know, one sentence placeholders and keep on moving forward until I get to the end like basically pantsing a story except an outline form or i will write uh, a beginning and ending and a couple of key events and then start connecting them with ever finer detail until i feel like i've got the word count that i'm shooting for i at this point know that my stories tend my my, my uh, uh scenes tend to be between a thousand and two thousand words so if i know that this is about a scene i can get a pretty good idea of how long the book is going to be uh you know based upon the length of the outline and uh, the outline actually, like Lindsay, I actually know because I just finished one a couple of days ago that uh, my outlines tend to be about 5,000 words. My full, my full brainstorming document tends to be about uh, 5,000 words. And that involves, that also includes the descriptions of characters and any key things that I need to keep, keep in my, my mind. Uh, as I add stuff to an outline, I will, I will go back and add stuff to sort of the cheat sheet I have. Like if I decided that oh, this character's going to need two sisters. Well, let's add in a sister up here. So I try to make sure everything stays up to date because I do refer back to my outline and my, and my design document very often while I'm writing. Um, if it's not completely new, the brainstorming is a lot faster. Uh, I have to, you know, because number one, all of the characters are already established. The world is already built. So a sequel, the brainstorming, uh, you know, it's just the outline portion and, and, Basically, the first step of the outline is already done because I know how the previous story ended. So I build forward, you know, in sequels uh, fairly linearly at that point. Um, also, it's useful. I, I do a lot of research up front. Uh, it, for sci-fi, this is important because sci-fi, there's usually at least some underlying science. For epic fantasy, not terribly important, but you still, a couple of things I like to do is make sure that the, the you know, I, I have a, an idea of what creatures I feel like using and look up to see if there's any 
details about the traditional usage that I might want to keep in mind. Although you can, of course, disregard all that when it's fantasy because yours might work differently. But I also like to go through and make sure that the ideas that I'm coming up with aren't, you know, entirely someone else's ideas. Like if I have a name for a city that I want to use, I want to make sure that it's not the name of the main city and someone else's story. This has happened to me twice in the outline stage of this book. So apparently <laughs> I've been uh, in the same mind space as a lot of, uh, of, of writers. And this whole process, it, it um, it's I, I find it super useful. I can do this usually right before I start writing. But I have also done this stuff way before I, uh, I, I plan to do it. Like I, uh, for free wrench, I ended up doing the entire outline while I was on the train going back and forth to New York Comic Con, which was in October. So it was the month, you know, the, the month before I actually started writing. But then also I have written the outline for the next book of Deacon book a couple of weeks after I finished the previous one, but that didn't actually write that book for almost a year. So that my brainstorming doesn't always happen within the month that I'm doing something. Although in this case, and in most cases, it, it turns out that way. And I was just telling Lindsay over chat that my internet's having problems again. So hopefully it's not going to interrupt me here, but um, okay. So the next question, the next thing we're going to discuss is how long it takes us to do the above, like how many days, and then what are some tips for people who generally take longer to prepare for a novel? Um, and then for me, it just depends on which book in the series it is. So if I'm writing a new fantasy series, I like allowing myself time to let the idea germinate. And like we've already said, while we're writing the previous project, we're thinking about the next one. Um, I've been able to prep an entire series in a couple of days under a really tight deadline, but that was not fun. And I like it best when I have a chance to think through potential plot holes and, um, as well as coming up with a good villain. So the initial brainstorming period is usually a few months. And then when I'm, but when I'm doing that's for fantasy. So when I'm doing romance, my brainstorming outlining part of the process process usually involves my mom's brain because <laughs> she's a devourer of romance books and it, she's really, really great to bounce ideas off of. And, um, and it can usually happen in an afternoon, honestly, which is really nice about romance. Um, unlike writing fantasy, I'm fine with starting the book before I finish plotting it, but because fantasy requires just so many more, there's just so many loose things that I like to know, you know, at what point in this book am I going to be having the main reveal happen? And it's a little different with romance. Romance doesn't require that. And so I sometimes will start writing my romance before I've got the, the plot outlined fully. All right. Well, I, I think I kind of answered this a little bit in my previous rambling. The only thing I would say is if you're not like, if you're ready to go right now, you're not working on anything else and you want to accelerate this process. I find that a few days of like reading or listening to audiobooks or podcasts, just kind of finding interesting subjects, whether, you know, they're really related to your story or not, just kind of feeding that creative brain. And while you're reading or listening to other stuff, you'll probably start having ideas pop into your head. For me, like the, when I'm trying to do something else and it's, especially if you're reading something, you should never like read a really good book. Some author you love that just sucks you in because then you'll be like, your brain's fully involved in the story. Find something kind of boring, honestly, and you'll be reading along and you'll just come up with ideas because your brain's like bored, right? And he's like, I would do this so much better. I could do this better in my story. So I don't know if. There's my suggestion. Get, get yourself a little bored in that week and, and start, but start listening to some interesting stuff. And, uh, if you're reading something boring, go with it. Maybe it'll be a good place to brainstorm. Um, yeah. So I think that 
I, I mentioned that with outlining, it's about a day for me. Uh, the pre-writing stuff, pre-thinking about things, just brainstorming when you get a chance. That's about all it is for me. Taking notes, kind of consciously thinking, rethinking. You know, it's really hard if you distract yourself. I think we've talked about this before, but I find like video games and things like that are too much of a distraction. They fully occupy your brain so that you're not really thinking of other things. Being bored is excellent for creativity. That's why I don't know, anyway, gardens or you're walking or you're jogging, things that are monotonous and don't require all of your brain. I find those to be excellent for brainstorming. Uh, so that's, that's about all I had to add on that topic. Um, if I am dedicated, the brainstorming doesn't take more than a half a day, basically one solid session uh, of that, what I said before, the question and answer for myself, uh, that usually doesn't take more than, I don't know, maybe three hours, honestly. Then it goes straight into the outline stage, and the outline, it will normally just take me until the end of that day. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll slice off a part of the next day. So we'll say that brainstorming and outlining is about two days total. If I'm doing it for the beginning of a series, sometimes I'll, uh, I'll include a, a, like a general arc of the series, like the whole series, not just this book at this stage. And if that's the case, then I will give myself a week, not just because it's, you know, maybe two or three more books that I'm, that I'm trying to outline, even in minor detail, but because invariably, if I do, if I do go that far ahead, I start getting ideas that I want to foreshadow and that changes the, the original outline. So the further out I go with an outline, the longer it takes me. But I, especially if I'm trying to do within a month, uh, I will usually skip the full series outline portion. So I, I give myself between between one and three days to, to get the pre-writing done. Trying to unmute myself. <laughs> um, okay, so the next thing we're going to discuss is if we have any advice for pantsers and on how they should approach their prep period. Um, all three of us are plotters, but, but I know a lot of our audience are going to be pantsers and, um, there, I mean, you don't have to do a whole lot of outlining, but, um, um, you don't need to know exactly what's going to happen. So I know that the discovery part is what helps pantsers actually finish a book. And that's kind of the way it is with me with romance. Um, but still having a general idea of where you want it to go and where some scenes will take place can be extremely helpful. So if you write romance or another trope heavy genre, pick the tropes you want to use ahead of time. Um, pick where you, where you want it to go. I mean, you don't have to, and that can move or whatever, but anything you can do ahead of time that doesn't take that excitement away, but does shorten the, the process of writing. Um, and like I said, I'm an outliner when it comes to fantasy, but my outlines have become pretty sparse over the years, uh, maybe around 500 words. Um, and in the beginning, they were like 40 to 50,000 words long. It took me a really long time. I don't know, several novels to learn to trust that future me is as intelligent as past me when it comes to writing and future me, even if future me doesn't know what past me was talking about, future me can come up with something just as good. So, um, with romance, I don't get too heavily into the outlining. I found I'm more of a pantser there. Like I said, though, I do like having a general idea of where I'm going. Like, you know, romance, they're going to get together at the end. <laughs> um, what I usually do with romance is establish the first few scenes and characters and then start writing those and see where things take me. So that's just, yes, those are my tips. <laughs> uh, okay. For pantsing, I, I feel that before I jump into this, I did want to say for all the romance writers out there, I never want to imply that romance is easy or that anybody can write it. It's just for me, when I'm coming from something with like six or seven point of views and sort of multiple storylines going 
on at once. I find romance to be comparatively easy. And that's why it's the kind of thing it's more easy for me to write in a month versus the epic fantasy that's 140,000 or more words with many point of view characters and two, two or more storylines going on at once. So that's all I mean when I say like, if I imply that, that's my only intention. And my urban fantasy series with only one POV, even easier. So it's just, for me, it's just a matter of how complicated the story can be based on how many POV characters there are to some extent. Um, so the main thing, if you are a pantser and you don't, you're not interested in outlining, you just want to discover the story as you go along. I think for prep, the main thing I would suggest is just having the character, especially your main protagonist, really firmly in your mind, kind of having thought about what they want to want in life, you know, what's driving them. And I think the story will more easily tell itself if you always keep in mind that they're trying to accomplish something, right? They're not just, you don't want the plot just moving them around. And then you get the kind of thing where like, the reader goes, this doesn't make sense. Why would the character ever do this? And the answer is because the author wrote a plot that required the character to do that. So the more you can have them really well developed in your mind before you get started, I think the easier you'll find it, even if you are just kind of finding the story on the fly. Uh, I think that's all I have for that one. All right. Um, like I said earlier, one of the ways that I outline is connecting the dots. And really the only difference between pantsing and plotting is how many dots you have. Because everybody pantses the first dot because there's nowhere to, no structure to build upon until you do that. So uh, even if you are fully dedicated to, to, to not plotting at all, I suggest having at least one other dot ahead of you for any writing session. That doesn't mean that you have to have it written, you know, weeks ahead of time at the pre-writing stage. But when you sit down and you look at where you are, at least have some half a notion uh, of where you're planning to go within that session. Like you're, you're probably doing this in your head anyway. You probably were thinking about where you were going yesterday when you stopped writing. So even if you don't realize it, envisioning that thing or envisioning the thing that would be cool to do or what would be interesting if it happened next, maybe consider making an actual note of it. Like when you finish your previous writing uh, day, uh, just put a little note of where your mind was. Or maybe actually just spend five minutes at the beginning of the day to try to set a goalpost that you're going to head toward. Uh, if you tend to go for the three-act structure, you could also conceivably uh, set up the transition points before beforehand. Like, you know, you, you know that you're going to have a certain problem. You're going to have a certain ending. If you say, okay, here's where the problem is discovered and here's where uh, things really start heating up. And you have those two points and only those two points set up, even if there's no surrounding thing, just the problem will get worse because of an event like this. And, you know, the problem itself will reveal itself because of a thing like this just one or two dots, as long as you've got something to be working toward instead of, instead of wasting the time to sort of meander around in words to, to find the next thing, I think you'll find that you'll go a lot faster. Okay. Um, let's see. And I feel like we're, we're like, you know, offering advice to pantsers. I know that they could offer us advice too, like when it comes to character development and, um, having characters grow and having like surprising the reader. I know that happens easier with pantsing than it does with outliners. Um, anyway. Okay. So we're going to go ahead and talk about the writing itself. So ways we stay on track, like goals we set, how we monitor our progress, schedules, tips, tricks to keep us focused, etc. This is basically where the rubber meets the road um, applications um, and actually getting the job done. And I think this is the longest section of the actual episode. There's um, I'm scrolling through our comments. There's a lot here. So it's, it's good stuff. So I'm going to go ahead and go get started first. Um, so 
part of why I struggled struggle to stay focused is because I'll reach a point in the story that is difficult to work through. And my brain just does not want to do that work. So what I do is I allow myself to get distracted. Um, um, I've found that reducing distractions ahead of time helps. So I make sure the kids are fed. Um, I get them through their chores, get them ready for the day. I get myself ready for the day and I have everything nearby to help me focus. It's like gum, mints, handheld toys. If I'm dictating and, um, like, notepads for taking notes, especially when I'm dictating. So I can, you know, write off, take a note about where I was when I left off. Um, but when I hit those hard work spots, um, I allow myself a bit of a break and then I give myself a lecture and I get back to work. And the problem with that is I know I've talked to a lot of authors and they do, they recognize when you get to that tough point, your brain's like anything but this. And so it's like really hard to make yourself focus, but just recognizing this, that's that that is happening can help you stay on task. And um, sometimes when I'm reluctant to write, rely on re, to write, honestly, it's because something is off in the plot and I need to work my way around it or change it completely. And a lot of the times when I get there, my brain knows that, but I don't know that. And so my brain's like, no, 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 not going to do this. And then it takes me a little bit to get caught up and be like, oh, this is actually a problem. And there's a reason why I didn't want to work my way through it. So, um, I use a lot of dry erase boards. And so when it keeps comes to taking or keeping track and English is really hard for me today. <laughs> when it comes to keeping track of what I'm doing and where my progress is, um, like I said, I use a lot of dry erase boards, markers and sticky notes to help me stay on track. And I've said this before on the podcast, I don't do daily goals because things are so difficult on a day-to-day basis to make sure I'm meeting those, but I do weekly and monthly goals. And then I find ways to stay excited about the plot and that really helps me. So there's, there's like this point when you're writing where it's just not as fun anymore. Um, because it's, it's a grind. It's hard work. And this is when usually when people who don't finish novels, this is when they stop writing. And so I found that a way to help me with that is to stop in the middle of a scene. And this, you know, I've heard this before. I know I'm not the first one to say it, but. Uh, if you, if you close an exciting scene and you resolve that, then it's resolved for you too. And it's harder to pick it up the next time. So if you're looking forward to finishing a scene, it's easier, um, to get started. Um, that's the way it is for me. Um, when I'm dictating, I almost always have something in my hands and I usually pace too. I found that mute movement keeps me productive. And then when I'm typing, um, it's the same thing, except like right now, my legs, my legs are constantly going a million miles an hour and I'm bouncing in my chair while I'm typing. And, and, um, it's not just in my body. It's also like, well, my mouth is part of my body. I chew gum sometimes, and that helps me feel like I'm moving and getting that excess energy out so that I'm not just sitting there. Um, and then also like accountability partners, like, uh, I don't use accountability partners a lot. Like Nolan is one for me, but I've, I've learned it just irritates me to have people checking in on, on with me. And I don't want to have to have, don't want to have to report to anybody. And so I've found that I don't need a lot of external influence to meet my goals, my own determination to get that dang book done in or to finish a project usually keeps me going. And then also I've mentioned this also before I'm compulsive and a little anal about finishing work books and things like that. And everything in my life gets sacrificed just so I can get that book done. Um, and that's one reason why I don't write every single day, because if I did, I would, I, I mean, I have to give my, my life breathing room and make sure I'm taking care of the kids too. Knowing this ahead of time helps me take time off when I'm and, and to be more patient when I'm working on a book. Um, but uh, where was I going with that? Do you guys remember? I don't remember. But anyway, so I don't, and this is one reason why, like, I know that authors who write every single day, they're more productive than I am. 
Um, it's just really hard for me to do that. And every day is different. And so that's another reason I hate being myself up because, you know, when the kids got sick or, or the baby was up all night and I, I just, you can't control that. Okay. So another thing that helps me stay focused and keep up with my goals is using my phone. Um, it's a, it's a galaxy note eight and it comes with a stylus and being able to take a screenshot of the current month and then draw on that month digitally. And then having it wherever I go is really, really helpful. It helps me open it up. Like I'm in line at at Walmart. I'm like, huh, you know, where am I on my goals? What day of the month? What am I supposed to have done this week? Um, anyway, so I'm big into lists and calendars and I usually have a lot of them around, um, Currently, I have a big board on the wall in the kitchen that has sticky notes on it showing which part of the process I'm in for personal homeschool and book projects. And it's a very large and, and very visual reminder of what I'm working on, working on and, and because it has personal and homeschool stuff on it. I know I'm not letting things slip through the cracks. Okay, I'm done. Lindsay, your turn. All right. Well, before I jump into the ones I had down, I just wanted to comment on you're absolutely right about it being early on. At least for me, beginnings are like exciting. You're you have it. It's just fun. It's easier to get words done. I find in the first half to two thirds, and then I get to the climactic battle or whatever. And it, that's where it becomes a grind. There's usually less dialogue, which is my favorite thing. It's like, oh, I got to write all this action stuff. <laughs> Someday I'll stop writing books that have require action scenes. I don't know. I, I like adventure stories. So they seem to be in there, but yeah. So if you can, and this is always with the, the NaNoWriMo thing is like, if you can get ahead earlier on, that's easier later when it becomes the grind and you're not maybe able to get as many words per hour as you were when you were a little more into it and, and really had the opening chapters clearly in your mind. And, and I think we've mentioned it numerous times on the show, but if you haven't read Rachel Aaron's book, 2K to 10K, that's a good one. It's, you know, not just about like, I want to write 10,000 words a day. It's sort of like how to prepare ahead of time so that you know exactly what you're going to write and it's exciting for you. Each scene is fun for you, ideally. I mean, it doesn't always work like that, that it's always that fun. But a lot of times if something's kind of not appealing to me, I, I've learned to sort of step back and think, okay, well, what what do I have to do to make this scene more interesting? Because if it's more interesting for me to write, I assume it's going to be more interesting to read. So that's something I always try to keep in mind. You know, I mean, it's easier to stay on task if the scene is fun to write. I, I've also certainly found that physical and mental health really plays into whether or not it's going to be easy to focus. The, you know, the more, like, if you just, you get older, you have more health issues and stuff. <laughs> we talked about that stuff on the show. And some days it's just like your brain is so easy to be distracted and so hard to focus. And other days you may just be that you have a good day and that's you try to take advantage of that. It's just, I'll certainly have days where it's like really easy not to jump on Twitter and not to check everything. Like I'll do my 2000 words. It's my goal before the first break. Where other days you find yourself like alt tabbing, like for no reason, you're just writing like, Oh, what's going on on Twitter? <laughs> Let me see what political thing is trending that will piss me off today. Uh, so, so there are days like that. I've just learned sometimes I have to actually click off the, uh, the Wi-Fi, so I just don't have the option. And, and I've certainly come into writers that, will, that have a special writing computer that's not even attached to the internet, so they can't turn it back on. And, and you know for yourself what you need to do, hopefully, to keep yourself on track. Because if there's nothing else for you to do, you're probably just going to go ahead and write your words. Uh, as far as accountability, I don't do that stuff either. Although to some extent, 
I, I have uh, my beta readers that are, have become good friends over the years, and we have a DM chat going on on Twitter most of the time. And I'm just like, I made 2,000 words. I'm going to take a break. And somebody will like throw like an elephant. I don't know why that's our thing, but an elephant sticker, sticker, or, you know, like a little icon as a reward, like good job, you know, whatever, or a cheerleading thing. And that's kind of nice if you've got somebody that your spouse or whoever, your mom, <laughs> that, that you can just kind of report into. And maybe they don't even say anything or like, okay, thumbs up. Like they don't care. Like, but I mean, they care because they care about you. But beyond that, they're like not pressuring you or anything like that. Just a kind of positive reinforcement, I guess that that, that can be helpful. But for actual writing, I I try to write almost every day when I'm doing a rough draft. And you know, like I said, I, this is a full time job, so I have the leisure to do that now. That that's definitely tougher for a lot of people. But I've, as I talked about before, I found that the faster I write the story, the more I'm just kind of seeing it in my head and it's playing like a movie in my mind. And the, if I take a couple of days off, and, and sometimes it happens, uh, this other book comes back from the editor, or you've got appointments, or just something is going on in life, so you can't write every day. Uh, it's harder for me to get back into it a couple of days later than it would be if I just kept going each day. And in order to keep going each day, I do have to like kind of figure out the next two or three scenes ahead of time, ideally the night before, so that when I wake up, you know, I know right away what I'm going to be writing the next day. But it, it's tough if you don't know what happens because then you kind of have to take time out to figure out what happens. So if I can figure out the night before what's going on the next day in the book, then it's easy to, easier to write every day. And again, you, you know your style, what works for you. Some people like to binge write. Uh, some people like to just do a thousand words a day and they're done. No matter where they were in the scene, they're just going to take off. They got their word count goal. I, I do make word count goals when I'm writing. It's just, it's what works for me. I hate to waste time. So, it, I know if I get words done, I accomplish something. Whereas if I just said, oh, I'm going to write for an hour, oh, that could be 500 words, you know, or that could be 2,500 words. And I also, when I set the word counts and I accomplish them, it's a reward in itself. I'm like, I feel like, wow, I really accomplished my goal today. That was kind of awesome. And I try to tell myself like that. I'm not really good at rah, rah, you know, all the mind, I don't even know what the word is, perky affirmations, things like that. I don't do that stuff. But I, so I, I try to remind myself like, oh, it's, you should feel good. You accomplished something. And, and then on the days where you, I didn't get the goal, I still try to go, well, hey, at least I got like X number of words done. So I got something done. I got a scene done. Try not to beat yourself up about it. I know it's really easy to get into that. I've certainly had days where I was like, well, if I can't finish these number of words, I'm just not even going to do anything else today. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, that's a horrible attitude. Um, yeah, I already talked about some days. Uh, I, it's not always easy, you know, uh, and it, I think it's okay. Again, you learn what kind of tricks, if it's turning off the Wi-Fi, if it, if you have your family at home, you could lock yourself into the bathroom wherever you have to go to write to get some privacy for a half hour. Uh, I do think that most people who are able to write pretty quickly, I, I have certainly met uh, a number of authors who are like full-time moms, uh, full-time careers, uh, and they get several books written a year, which to me is like way more impressive than anything I'm doing over here. And I think they just figure out maybe they have to get up a little earlier in the morning before everyone else, or they have to stay up a little later, or they have their lunch hour at work, whether they have a half hour, they're eating and writing at the same time. If you, if you have the goal, you have the desire and it's like burning enough and you really need to do it, I think you'll find a way. What's hard is when, you know, it's like you either kind of like to finish a novel, but yeah, 
eh, <laughs> you know, if you don't, no big deal. So that's really, you have to figure out what is your, you know, is it a burning thing that you have to do? And, and I, I it's almost good once you become a full-time author and you're relying on that income because that's motivation right there. If you don't keep doing it, you have to go get another job. So it's actually, I think, harder when there's no monetary reward or no, like maybe there will be, maybe you'll get an agent if you were looking for one or your first series will do well. That's when I think it's tougher when it's like, it's still a hobby at that point. And it, you know, it's easy to have hobbies come and go, but I guess I rambled enough there, so I will let Joe now ramble a little bit. I think we all have referenced it, but uh, like a lot of people say, if you're you're not a writer, if you don't write every day, and I broadly uh, find that to be completely false. But if the subject is how to write a novel in a month, it's probably a good idea to write every day. Um, you don't have to, though. I'll go to that in a second, but. Uh, This helps if you've been writing for a while. If you've been writing for a while, chances are you're pretty aware of how quickly you can write. Uh, I know that if I'm sitting in the chair dedicated uh, in a writing session, I'm going to get between 800 and 1,200 words done. If I'm really rocking and rolling, I could get up to around almost 2,000. 2,000 in a single session is a lot for me. Uh, And if I'm, you know, struggling, then it's going to be as low as zero. But let's assume that, that that means on average with my butt in the chair for 45 minutes, I'm going to get a, I'm going to get a thousand words written. And now let's say my target for the novel is 90,000 words. Uh, assuming I need time to prep and revise, that means I'm going to need to average about 10,000 words for three weeks. That means that I'm going to need 10 to 15 sessions per week or about one to three sessions per day. Like you can break down your entire thing and figure that out. And if you determine you're not going to be able to write for every single day, then you can figure out how many additional sessions you're going to have to average. But once you know that, that becomes your quota. So I always aim high on my quota because there will be days that I fall short or there will be days that I have to skip. So let's say now I, I do three sessions of a thousand words each. That's 3000 words. That's my actual quota. That's what I always work toward. Unless I'm really trying to put a lot out, then I'll, I'll up that to five. But, um, and I know that I can do that. And three sessions is comfortable. Again, I just said a session is 45 minutes. So, you know, a, a session happens once in an hour. That's, that's three hours. I need to be sitting in a chair. And even when I was working full time, uh, I, I could, I could go home from work, eat dinner, and then put my three hours in. It made for a very long day, but I could do it. So, um, I aim for my three hours or my, my 3,000 words or three sessions, whichever is greater. I always, again, always aim high. Uh, and that should give me enough breathing room to, if I fall short on other days, it gets taken up. Now, if you're feeling motivated, always do more. Uh, it, at this stage, the thing is motivation. Burnout doesn't happen when you're feeling motivated. When you're feeling unmotivated and grind through it is when burnout happens. So if you're in the flow state, don't stop just because you got to your quota. I've, I think one of the very first pieces of advice I gave on the previous incarnation of, uh, like on the, on the sci-fi podcast was your quota is not a, when you stop, it's when you don't stop until. Um, so, I find that particularly uh, having broken it up into sessions as opposed to a full day's word count feels better for me because I have three things that I succeeded in doing because I had my three sessions. I'm very motivated by completing steps. So that's a, that's a piece of advice for you is if you feel like you can't hit your quota, feel like it's a daunting task, then break it up into subtasks 
and suddenly even if you miss one maybe you hit two and then you know you, you like Lindsay was saying you can pat yourself on the back for making progress now to stay focused i like to get music going uh for me i sort of need music that either i have listened to a thousand times and is just sound or it's music that has no lyrics and film sound uh, film scores are great for this because you can pick one and matches the tone of your writing and that not only keeps you from for, you know keeps you from having audio distractions it sort of keeps you in the headspace of what you're trying to write i like to set a timer for 45 minutes and once the timer is up i make note of where i am and i stand up and do some stretches and take a break for 15 minutes again i sort of skip the break if i'm really in the flow but i find that if i get up and 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 you know change my mind for 15 minutes it keeps me from uh, sort of getting into the doldrums if it's a day that i'm grinding on a day that i'm not grinding i don't care about that break but on a day that i'm having a really hard time the 15 minutes really help to keep me from from feeling like i'm losing the entire day to a bad writing session and uh as much as you might feel compelled like even if you are in the flow state as much as you might feel compelled to sit there for eight hours straight and just get the novel written take it from a guy who has chronic back problems don't do that you need to straighten your body out at least a few times a day or you're going to have a real bad time after a couple of weeks uh minimize distractions if you can and that includes distractions that come from the writing if i've encountered something that requires research I make a note of it and continue writing. I move past if I can. If I can't move past it without doing research, I will see if I can skip to the next, uh, like, because again, I've outlined pretty well. I'll see if I can skip to the next scene and at the end of the day, do research and come back and fill that in either in the revision or before I start my writing session the following day. The idea is to make sure that your whole session, if you're going by the session like per session thing, like I'm talking about, the, the, the goal is to have the entire session dedicated to writing. And, uh, and then, you know, fixing all of the notes that you leave for yourself, that goes to the revision stage, which we'll talk about in just a moment. That's a great segue. So let's go ahead and talk about revisions. Um, revisions are almost always my favorite and my least favorite part of a book. So um, when I'm typing, revisions is my favorite part of the book. When I'm dictating, it's my least favorite part of the book. <laughs> um, it just depends on, you know, um, yeah, the state of the book. So um, when I'm dictating, I send my rough drafts to a volunteer reader who goes through and makes sure it sounds like English. So those of you who have listened to this podcast for a while, you know, I tend to jumble up words quite a bit. And that happens when I'm dictating too. <laughs> and so um, my little beta reader person, um, she goes through and she removes like repeated phrases and she makes things sound like English. And I pay her $50 a book to do that. And then she gets them back to me within a day or two. And I start working and revising the first set of revisions after di dictating take longer than they do when I'm typing, but I still only need to do two sets before my books are ready for my editor. So when typing that revision usually only takes a few days. So this talking about a 50,000 word book right now, when I'm dictating, it takes about 20 days with five pages per day being my goal. And that's single spaced. Um, when I'm dictating, I can finish a book in a week. And when I'm typing, it takes a couple of weeks. Um, regardless of which system I'm using, like I said already, it takes about two sets of revisions. So the last one, so the first one was me just sitting there fixing any problematic sentences. And then the second, and then any plot points, all that. And then the second revision is, um, is one where I have a program read out loud to me. And this is looking for any like typos, any misspelled words, any missing words, things like that. Um, 
And then that's what I usually do before I send my book off to my editor. But in the beginning, um, it wasn't like this. And I wish so much that when I first started writing, authors were more open about this sort of stuff because they weren't. So I had no idea that when you'd been writing for a while, it gets faster and easier. I was like, my first book took six weeks to write and then a year and a half to revise and edit. And I mean, I know I rewrote it quite a few times of that, you know, during that time. But, um, then my second book was like four weeks to type. And then, um, a couple three, four months to revise. Anyway, it's so much faster now. And that was with me going through each set of the revision. It would be like a five times through the novel to get everything down. And now it's like once through the novel with an out loud, um, set of revisions and things that I'm fixing at that point are so minimal that I can have it continue reading and I don't have to stop to fix what it's going through. So those of you guys who aren't there yet, you will get there. The more experience you get with writing, the more frequently you, you finish books, it it will, it gets so much faster and so much easier to revise. And thank goodness for that, because it, it would be a pain in the tush to have to do that much work every single time. Right. You're kind of learning with those first few books. You're learning everything, all the craft stuff, everything, and you're going to do a, probably a lot of editing passes. And, and it probably goes with saying with this book a month thing, you got to basically write it and do one editing pass and then it's off to the editor or at least off to your beta readers, which is what I do. And then whatever they catch, if I miss, I'm horrible about like, if somebody's in a space suit with a helmet on, I've got them like picking their nose, you know, and my friend's like, yeah, excuse you, isn't he outside the spaceship with a helmet on and zero gravity and no atmosphere? I'm like, oh yeah, I guess he can't pick his nose off to think something else. But that, they catch things like that and then I go back and fix those and send those off to my editor for, you know, any, any cleanup that uh, I need to do at that point. But generally it's, I, well, and I guess we should say too, it should be obvious that we're not suggesting, which this is advice that I, I heard it all the time. And I still hear it from professionals that suggest that you write your rough draft and then you throw your novel in a trunk for three months. These were back when we had trunks. <laughs> and then you come back to it three months or six months later, and then you edit it. And I've always been like, what? <laughs> it would be a whole friggin' new novel to me at that point. I'd be like reading some stranger's work. And then, you know, that's not how my, how I work. Like by the time I finish with my rough draft, I'm already thinking like all these things I need to go back and fix. So I want to jump on that right away while I have everything in my head. You can make notes to yourself, but it's just easier for me if, you know, to go do that editing pass while everything's fresh. I, you know, I write the whole rough draft in one pass, no stopping to research, no going back and tinkering. And, you know, this is my way. This doesn't have to be everybody's way. But I might take, I usually take like a day off after that. And then I go jump into the editing and, and do a pass. And I, in that, usually because I do the outline ahead of time and like Andrew was saying, cause I've done this a number of times now, I, I don't usually have to like delete scenes and, and really do a whole lot of rewriting. Although with this epic fantasy where it's a all new world and still getting to know a new set of characters, book one, I find book one in every series is usually a little bit more uh, effort goes into the edit than in, in other series. And sometimes the later books too, if they've gotten complicated, which I tend to uh, do later books in the series. But usually for me, the editing pass is not rewriting scenes so much. It's just tidying sentences, working in foreshadowing of ideas that like I realize later in the story that I need to foreshadow earlier in the story. Same with kind of themes or if I ended up having a cool character resolution to a conflict that I didn't even realize when I started writing I was going to have. I need to go set up that conflict a little bit as I'm editing. So it's just, it tends to be smaller things. 
you know, a, a lot of times it's just like making, taking a sentence that was 20 words for no reason that could be said in, in 14 words and hacking things up, hacking things down. And I usually edit more quick, more quickly, quickly <laughs> than I write. I think we've all had long days today, but not always a lot more quickly. I'm not a particularly fast reader. I've always had many people that just like, no, oh, I read that book in two hours. I'm like, oh, really? I read that book in four and a half hours. Um, so there have been times where I actually wrote seven to 10,000 words a day. And I may have only, when I was doing my editing, maybe I only edited that much. Uh, when things are a little smoother, like a nice book five, let's say, in a series where I, I really knew what was going on, I, I've gotten as many as 20 or 30,000 words a day. I think I had once had like 40,000 words I got through editing. I had somebody coming over to visit or something. So there was a motivation to really power through and finish. But yeah, that, that can be slow. But it's, again, it's usually just mostly one pass. So whatever your goals are for this book a month thing, if you're trying to like do three here quickly so you can do rapid release, just be realistic, realistic with your goals. Uh, you know, it took me quite a few years and quite a few books to get to the place where I could do this. That balance on the blade's edge, I think that was probably like my eighth or ninth, maybe 10th novel. I'd written my whole Emperor's Edge series at that point and was starting something new. Also some novellas. And it kind of took me hearing other people say a number of times that they were writing thousands of words a day for me to get past it. I think I was trying to do 3,000 words a day. Once I went full-time, I thought that was pretty reasonable. Uh, sometimes it, hears, it takes you hearing that other people are doing more to realize, well, maybe you can do more and, and maybe you can't. It's really, you have to figure it out. You don't have to put too much crazy pressure on yourself. Uh, a lot of times with these, uh, I'm going to publish a book and novel for a year thing. I, I see these goals from people and I look at what they've published so far and they've got like three novels out that took them two years to write. I'm like, well, maybe just gradually go to like four novels a year before I try, you know, maybe try one in a month, but then give yourself a month off. Like I, I find that like if I slow down someday, I'm sure I will. I'll probably still write the book pretty quickly and then I'll just take more time off in between and go travel and stuff. Cause I've talked to you about why I like that. I like to really get it down quickly while everything's still in my head, but you know, we don't want to pressure you here. <laughs> it's really, if this is your goal and you want to write a book a month, please, uh, hopefully something here will help you do so. Uh, but you know, I, I would say early on, especially it's okay to be learning that you should be learning and kind of figuring out the process that works for you. Don't feel you have to go like from one book at all that you've written to like, I'm going to write a book a month or, you know, maybe you want to try this and see how it works for you before committing to like, Oh, I'm going to put out three books and do a rapid release uh, by April. So, you know, just, we're not trying to stress you out with this episode. So hopefully you don't get that. Um, yeah. I think that's all I have to say on the editing. I'll pass it over to Joe. Um, so for editing, uh, the only guaranteed one month novel I do in a given year is NaNoWriMo. I have written books within a single month, uh, otherwise, but during NaNoWriMo, I don't, you, you generally don't consider the, the revision to be part of the month. But as I said, with free wrench, I did it then anyway, the process is the same, regardless of how long you're, you're going to aim for that sort of thing. Uh, I normally don't include uh, yeah, I don't normally don't include the, the revision in the time allotted for a one month book, uh, partially because parts of the re revision can be overlapped with writing the next book. And I'll mention that at the end of this section, the process, uh, I like to go through and I mentioned that I take notes on things that I think need work rather than trying to fix them as I go. So I'll, I'll, I'll I have them, you know, easily searchable 
And I go through and, and collect all of them and I put them in a file labeled notes. And in Scrivener, you can actually have two views open. So I'll usually have the notes view open underneath and just leave that there. And as I'm reading through my, my, uh, my book, that's always there sort of in my eyesight so that I'm mindful. Oh, got to go in and add that now. And, uh, once I do that, I will read the book from beginning to end. And uh, the goal is to keep an eye out for, uh, you know, plot problems, dialogue problems. Sometimes I'll mark that something like the pace is wrong and I need to add a scene to give something some breathing room. That's the slowest thing. That's why outlining is super important because if, if you outline well enough, you'll spot where scenes need to be added during the outline phase, not the revision phase. But, uh, I will go through one full read through adding in any missing scenes and fixing all the notes that I have for myself. I don't kill myself on typos or grammar or anything like that. That's for the editor and the beta reader pass, which again are out of your hands by that stage. So you can do it in parallel with starting the next book if you want. Uh, and normally a second revision is not necessary unless, like I say, I mean, uh, I found that were missing scenes I had to do where I had to do major changes. So one revision and that revision that uh, Lindsay was saying, um, it tends to be some multiple of how quickly you write. And I find that I can usually revise about 20,000 words in a day if I'm, if I'm doing well, assuming that, again, that I, I don't have a tremendous number of notes to do. So, uh, yeah, I tend to be able to, since I'm aiming for 3,000 words in a day, that's, you know, a pretty high multiple. I'm able to do uh, a full revision not more than a week in general, usually more than, usually more like three or four days. And, uh, and that's where I stand with revisions. Now we're going to move into the next step. And that is uh, because I talk first in the next step. So, the, so scheduling the cover and the edit. This is something, again, if your goal is to actually release a book a month, this is a thing you need to keep in mind because the writing of the book is entirely within your control. But uh, the cover and the edit are out of your control. So if you're going to write a book a month with the hopes of releasing, you're going to have to book an editing slot and a cover, either of which might be need, might, might need to be done weeks or even months ahead of time, depending on who's doing the work for you. If you're anxious about deadlines, uh, which is a problem that I have. Uh, also, it's a bigger problem if you've given yourself a one-month deadline. You can schedule the edit for this book after you finish it and then start the next book. And if you like, basically, so, uh, you don't, you do, you are not working toward the deadline of this book. You're working toward the deadline of, uh, th this book is done. That deadline is in the future. And now you're running the next book. So you basically are just offsetting your release by a month because you've moved all of your, your edits out by a month or whatever. But I would recommend, uh, especially if this has been planned uh, for a, a, you know in advance, if you're doing a rapid release, that dangling deadline of your actual edit is going to be an additional motivation to get done. Uh, and you know, basically that that's about it. Just remember that that um, the book, the the cover, and the edit need to be in place for the release date. And it's an entirely separate section of scheduling that lots of people sort of, lots of people being me, I very frequently forget about the cover until I'm finished writing and realize that I've just added another three weeks to my schedule. Um, okay, so this, yeah, okay. This is not going to be super applicable to our listeners, I don't think. Just I'm just going to explain what my process is here. 
Um, so I'm one of my editors only clients. Uh, we've worked together for 12 years next month. So I'm kind of lucky when it comes to edits because she works around my schedule. Um, this is fine because I've only ever written between four and six novels a year. And because my books are pretty clean, they don't take her a lot of time. If I were writing a lot more rapidly, I honestly, I think it would start causing problems because she's also an author and has kids at home. Um, in that case, we need to come up with a schedule of sorts. Um, covers are entirely different beast and I'll get into that in just a second, but editing, like when it comes to editing you, there's so many things out there now. Like there's so many ways to find editors. Now you can find them on, I mean, the keyboards, yellow pages still exist. You can find editors there. You can ask on Facebook for editors. And if you're beginning and you don't know if like they're good editors or not, just have somebody check and, um, Unless it's an editor that you know and, and you've worked with a lot, I don't, I would honestly recommend people not, not scheduling an editor out really, really far because when you're first starting, you want to be getting your books out and you can find editors who are really good who aren't su super booked up. When you've been working with an editor for a while and they know your style, I mean, when you start with a new editor, they have to learn your style and you have to learn their style and it takes time for that to happen. And so when you've been doing it for a while and you've been working with the same editor for a while, you're going to want to do whatever is necessary to be able to get on their schedule. Um, and when my editor has been really busy, I've been like, Hey, this is what I'm hoping to do this coming year. Um, covers are entirely different beasts. I'm still trying to master them. Um, if I'm doing them, my, them myself, which I do occasionally still, I usually have to absolutely have to finish them at least the first book's cover before I can even start writing. And I don't understand why that is, but it's the same with titling. I can't write a book until it has a title. Um, and this is why I don't do a lot of my own fantasy covers anymore because they're so time consuming. So time whatever. They take a lot of time. Um, romance ones are easier and don't require nearly as much time as a, much of a time investment. And so I can pop out a bunch of them for the same series in a day or two. Um, but if I'm working with other creators, I mean, I try to re be realistic with timeframes and to have patience. And the same thing with editors. There's so many um, cover designers available now. There's so many and they're so easy to find compared to what they were when we first started writing. And so if there's one you really like, guess what? You're going to find others you really like as well. I wish I'd known this when I first started doing, having other people do my covers because I spent so much money on covers that were basically mediocre when I could have waited for one of the newer, less well-known cover designers. And I could have found them the way I found, like go through the cover design marketplace and their pre-mates. I mean, there's, they're, they're so much cheaper and they are just as talented and they're not as well known. And so getting on their schedule is a lot easier. And so be flexible with both of those. Be realistic with your timeframes. Recognize that if it's a really sought out, um, editor and cover designer, you're going to want to know, you're going to want to get on their schedule ahead of time, but also recognize you can find talented and qualified professionals for less time than that. So that's pretty much everything for me. And I hope I didn't just talk about everything Lindsay's going to talk about. Ready, set, go, Lindsay, and tell me. I don't have that much to say in here. Just that this isn't only going to matter if you're trying to publish a book a month. If you're just trying to write a book, this is your goal to finish a book in a month. You know, you don't need to worry too much about it. But I, I have been fortunate enough to work with the same editor now for almost 10 years. And she was actually a technical editor who posted on Kboards that she was going to start editing fiction for independent authors back in like 2011, I found her. And so at that point, she didn't have a lot of clients. So she was ready for me. And then she started getting busier. And but she's just kind of reserved me slots. And I, I like that having that deadline 
I, I fin- I've written a lot more books because I've had deadlines. Like it would be a lot easier to just take your time and not stress out and, you know, just relax. And I'm not saying you should stress yourself out, but like there's kind of a level, right? There's a moderate level of stress and uh, desire to not disappoint other people can be helpful in actually achieving more and doing more. So again, just, you know, once you find somebody, if you are kind of prolific, you're actually going to end up being one of their better clients or not better, better, but like you're going to give them a lot of money because you're, <laughs> they're getting, got your work to do all the time. So they should, you should be able to get somebody as long as you're not a pain to work with or something, you know, they should be willing to kind of be accommodating or at least let you know their schedule ahead of time and block you in cover. Art, that's, that's the thing that's held me up whenever I've kind of been held up on stuff. And that's kind of why I actually like the Photoshop manipulation, just basic stock art stuff to some degree. Cause I, it's a lot easier for designers to do something like that more quickly than like a custom illustration for a fantasy novel. Those are, you know, usually going to be, more intensive the illustrated stuff especially really detailed with like people <laughs> spaceships i think uh and things like that might come a little more easily but depends on the artist so just if you're trying to publish quickly make sure you do book those guys ahead of time if you can like ideally it's somebody you've worked with before so you're not I, i'm not sure i would be willing to wait six months to get booked six months out with somebody i don't even know if i'm going to like them yet so there, there's certainly something to be said for if you can find somebody else that's in the same situation as you are, that's kind of rising up through the ranks and still isn't super busy, but they're, they're good. And you can tell they're going to be reliable. That's ideal. Of course. Uh, my only last thoughts, I will say I, I kind of poo pooed the throat in the trunk thing for a while at the last one. I do think that is actually useful if it works with your time schedule and never works with my production schedule. If you, after you've edited it, after it's done, if you then have a couple months and then can go reread read it before you let it go, you'll catch things uh, at that point because it's a new book at that point. And you'll be like, oh, I used that word, you know, two times in that sentence and my editor didn't catch it and I didn't catch it. I've certainly gone back and had to reread my books, had to, forced to reread my books as research because I was writing a new book in the series and I hadn't done it for a while. And I caught things where I'm like, oh man, kind of would have been nice if I'd done one more pass after... You, you do have to wait, right? I, I think it's kind of just as time passes and you see it with new eyes. So maybe someday my production schedule, I'll get far enough ahead and, and be a little less ambitious. And maybe I will take a couple months after the edit before actually publishing. And that's usually enough time where it's sort of enjoyable to read your work again. I don't know about you guys, but when it's actually in editing, even only doing one editing pass and going back, I'm like, oh, I'm sick of this. <laughs> I'm going to work on the next thing. So I think that was all I had on that. Andrea, did you want to say anything? We were going to wrap it up. I think it looks like just Joe and I are talking. Is that correct? Um, yeah. I mean, the wrap up, you said pretty much everything in, in your notes that I would have said. So I'm like, that's really good. You can go ahead and give those thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, you know, we've been talking about how to do it in, in a month. And I will say that most advice out there on writing a novel quickly seems to be geared towards getting a short book done a rough draft done and that's fine but realize that if it's going to then take you six months to edit because you just wrote anything to try to get your word count then maybe ask yourself if you're really ready to try this I hate to kind of out my fellow authors who have written books on how to write a book in a month or in weeks or in days but a lot of them if you go look at what else they published they're not actually publishing a whole lot of novels. So maybe they wrote a book quickly, but then are they, you know, do you want to do that? Just write a book and get out there quickly. Or do you want to consistently put out books regularly every couple, three, four months, whatever it's going to be. 
and, and build up a fan base. Cause as I've talked about here on the show, consistency counts for a lot. I think that any success I have now is just because I've been consistently publishing for 10 years. Whereas a lot of people have like published a lot and then disappeared. And so, you know, think about that. Is it worth killing yourself to do a book in a month or to do three books so you can do a rapid release and then it's going to be a year before you can release anything else? It, like Andrea was talking about earlier, it takes a little time, a few novels under your belt. Usually, uh, you know, some exceptions are like if you came out of journalism or something where you're used to writing a lot, <laughs> you might find it more easy, find it easier. But uh, I, I actually really hate the advice. And you see this a lot with around NaNoWriMo and stuff. It's just, just write. It's okay if it's crap. You can fix the crap when you edit. Um, you can fix it. I'm not saying you can't and I don't want to stress you out. But if going for a walk and brainstorming a scene before you write it lets you put something down that's good and that you're not going to have to fix later, why wouldn't you do that instead of just forcing yourself to spew words out so you can make some arbitrary word count goal? If it takes you two months to write and two months to edit, then you're way ahead of the, like, I wrote a book a month, but then it took me six months to completely rewrite things in the editing process. So all this to say is that, yeah, if you want to push yourself and try to write a book a month in this month, next month, whatever, and you think you're ready, go for it. And then kind of assess afterwards, like, did I like doing that? Was it super stressful? Do I want to do that again? Do I want to try to write multiple books in multiple months? I think that's where it gets super stressful. Like, <laughs> I'm not going to say anybody can do it once, but a lot of people can do it once. Repeating it over and over again is tough. And I, I do think that I never want to convey that you have to do that in order to have a successful author career. That's why we've had folks like Jamie Albright on who writes a novel a year and is making a, a living from it so that you realize that even though you can make more potentially by publishing more, it's like you don't have to kill yourself. There should be other ways to, to make it work. At this point, I, I'm still enjoying writing a lot. I love to get things down quickly so I can go on to the next idea um, but you know, not, that's not for everybody. Like if I was Andrea with three kids at home, you know, trying to do all that with uh, homeschooling kids at the same time, I'm sure I can do as much as I do now. My dogs are needy, but I don't think they're quite that needy. <laughs> and actually they're needy in a way, like they demand, I take them for walks, which is actually good as I've talked about for the brainstorming. So, you know, it's certainly good to have goals, but, um, Try not to kill yourself. Try to think about, I want to have a career now. Like I need to make this much money in my next three books that need to be out in the next three months. Uh, you know, find, if you can find the balance, I don't know. Let us know guys. Uh, Joe's going to talk a little bit too, but uh, let us know if you've written a book in a month and how it went <laughs> and what you thought about it. Uh, like so many rules of thumb, writing a book a month is a pretty arbitrary goal. Uh, it's a nice round number. It's a nice target. Uh, as useful as it is to work out a pipeline that lets you smoothly produce a book with a minimum number of speed bumps and delays, nothing magical happens if that pipeline fits within 31 days instead of 32. Uh, people talk about doing a book a month, I think largely because of the fabled 30-day cliff that people talk about with new releases on Amazon. And if you have a book a month out, then you'll be doing a new release whenever it when the previous book is starting to fall off. But the deeper into your catalog you get, the less you really have to worry about the initial release boost because you're, we, we spoke in earlier episodes about how the long tail turns out to be just as important as the new releases. So your career, if you're making this a career, then you're making it a marathon and not a sprint. 
and you're not going to get anywhere by trying to sprint the entire 26 miles. So find your pace and uh, do better. You'll, you'll do better in the long run. But are, you know, challenging yourself to get a book done in a month is a really great way to figure out where the bottlenecks are and what things work for you. I do want to add to that. You will just kill yourself trying to figure out Amazon's algorithm and keep up and publish to what you think Amazon wants. I, that's never been my goal. Like the reason I rapid release three for the first three books, half the time I'm still waiting for the cover art on the first book and the audio book now that I've been trying to get the audio out at the same time. So it's really just that I'm starting to work on the next stuff while waiting so everything can be released. And I like doing it because honestly, you make more money because uh, if you all at once, <laughs> so there's a, there's a perk, but it, I'm not doing it because of any cliffs or Amazon's algorithms, especially now with advertising, you can kind of smooth things out to some extent if you do have the money to spend on that. But yeah, I, I try not to worry about that. Just try to like always be thinking like, what can I do this month when you're not busy writing a book a month to get new readers into your book one, your best book one, whatever it is that people love, you know, that converts the best, what, what can you be doing to, or to excite your current readers uh, so that they'll tell other people about your books and, you know, just, I don't know. It's easy to talk about at this point. I know I've got the, a lot of books out and, and the fan base. So, but I, I looking back, I'm kind of glad there was fewer people talking about like, this is all the money I'm making. I did this rapid release thing. <laughs> Here's my stats on book report. We didn't have book report when I got started. We had keyboards. There, there was some of that. But uh, I didn't even know to be disappointed with <laughs> what I was doing. I was just like, oh, I'm making a little more with each release. So I think this is good. So that 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 was kind of my goal. All right, Andrea, I'll pass it back to you to wrap us up. Or to say, add whatever you want to add. Yeah, no, I was actually going to agree with you on that. Like in the beginning, nobody ever talked about how much everybody made and that made things easier. You know, like it wasn't as stressful. And I I think I would have gotten discouraged because once people started talking about how much they made and all these tools came out to tell you how much people made, that's when I started really getting discouraged. And discouragement leads you to not write. So you need to do whatever you can to, to not get, allow yourself to get discouraged. And also, um, <clears throat> there's nothing wrong with writing a book of month. Um, I don't want to stand on the, you know, don't do it unless you have, I mean, like Joe said, set the goal, see how it goes for you. And then decide if that's something you want to replicate every month, or maybe you could pick to do a book a month, but not every month, like do a book six months out of the year and then take the other two months, the other, the other two months off. I can math guys. <laughs> um, anyway, so just make sure that, that what you're doing fits your lifestyle, fits your personality and makes you happy with what you're doing. And like they both said, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And then just, just have fun with it. Make sure you, you maintain that passion and that excitement because, um, in five years, you're going to have a bunch of books, right? In 10 years, you're going to have a bunch of books and you can do so much more once you have a whole ton of books written. And so right now, if you're in that beginning stage, if you're in the first few years of your writing career, it's not as big of a deal, you know, to push yourself really hard because <clears throat> you just need to get that backlog out. Anyway, so add weight. That's a good point that if you do do it in a month, you can take more time off afterwards. If you're not foolish like me, although this has been such a, what the heck was I going to do this year? Go on a vacation after I finished something? That's why, I, that's why I got more books published in 2020. I was like, well, I'm still going to be at home. I might as well start the next book. But at some future date, if you work hard, 
you know, like I've been saying, I will probably someday still write the book in a month and then just take another month off afterwards before starting the next project. So it's like a reward for yeah. if it works for you, uh, you know. Okay, I'm done now. <laughs> no, and wasn't it, was it Joe last week who was talking about living off the peaks and not the lows? Who was that? Do you remember? Because, I mean, we don't want to have people, when you're that frantic, I have to constantly have that new release rush, that can really burn you out, especially if you've got, you know, like Lindsay said, if you don't, if you have more than just, you know, cute little dogs that are actually very demanding, as I've been researching. <laughs> so, um, Kids are demanding too. Yes. Um, but okay. So we learned that in the past that, I mean, in the past, we learned from the Facebook group that the idea that people don't listen to the end is kind of blasphemous. <laughs> so thank you guys for listening to the end. And, um, we do appreciate it. And we really appreciate the feedback you guys give us on that Facebook group. You know, um, it's really great to hear your comments and your thoughts about our episodes and, and if you have questions, you know, about what we've said, go ahead and post those. Um, and for asking for clarification, also, if there are topics you would like us to discuss, feel free to post those in there and tag one of us in that. That would be beneficial to us because we want to make sure that we're providing stuff that is valuable to you, um, without opening the floodgates of talk about everything. <laughs> um, but that's pretty much it for this episode. So go ahead and, um, I just about went into my YouTube channel. Hit the like and the subscribe button and the bell kind of if you want to be alerted to. Anyway, it's been a while. We since should ask for that because we actually have a YouTube channel that Joe puts the shows on. So yeah, if you're watching on YouTube, hit the like and the subscribe button and the bell icon if you want to be alerted to future videos. And <laughs> there's going to be links in the description, show notes, all of that. Thank you to Joshua Pearson for producing the show. And you guys, of course, as always, for listening. Um, you can find the show notes or leave a comment or question at sixfigureauthors.com with the number six. And let us know what you think in our Facebook group. We really like that. And thank you guys so much for helping each other out. We really appreciate that because we can't be in there all the time. But that's it. Okay, goodbye. <laughs> Bye-bye. So long, everybody.